0: Mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all.
1: I have a dick on my face, don't I?
0: Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired... By that upstart crow himself,
1: William Shakespeare.
0: I'm Megan Charlotte and I use she-her pronouns.
1: My name is Matthew James Marquez, I use he-him pronouns.
0: And today we are obviously talking about that hit film, Ten Things I Hate About You.
1: Released March 31st, 1999, right along with The Matrix. So it didn't do as well as it could've.
0: It got second in the box office. That's pretty good when you're up against The Matrix. It's
1: counter-programming. This is a girl movie, quote-unquote, and The Matrix is a boy movie, quote-unquote, even though this one was directed by a man and The Matrix was directed by trans women.
0: Who was this directed by?
1: Gil Younger. This is his first feature-length film. He did a lot of TV directing before this. He also went on to do... uh, Black Knight the Martin Lawrence Black Knight he's a knight that is a black guy I don't know
0: And the screenwriters went on to write Legally Blonde
1: a great movie This movie is um good
0: Hot take not at all That's a very no. cold take
1: So this is part 1 of our julius styles as shakespeare heroine trilogy this
0: is also part one of our who knows how many parts of shakespeare is a high school
1: yes this movie is based off of the play taming of the shrew by william shakespeare i'm shocked
0: what as this is the first of many of these that are to come Marquez, why are so many Shakespeare plays modernized to be high school dramas?
1: I love this trope of Shakespeare as teen comedy. It's my favorite. I love all of them. Basically, Shakespeare has a couple of main themes that he likes to explore in his plays. And in the comedies especially, he likes to explore... Young lovers pushing back against the society that they're living in, and they will usually enter a forest of some kind in which their identities are mixed up, or they love one person and love another person, or everything's just muddled, and they come out of the forest back into society changed in some way, and they most of the time change society as well by doing so. This I believe is reflected in the teen romantic comedy in that it's a lot of very strong, powerful emotions. Teenagers, they're coming into their own in terms of being humans. So they have a lot of chaos energy that allows for high intense, everything is important every slight is revenge worthy every love is eternal they just feel a lot of feelings and that's what happens in shakespeare comedies there's a lot of feelings there i think also in addition teen comedies lend themselves well to tropes both character and story beats so a lot of shakespeare comedies have a lot of the same beats In terms of just like, oh, this is what happens, then this happens next. Teen comedies have the same. There's always a huge party where something big happens in either the beginning or the middle of the movie. And the prom is always the end goal of everything that happens. Shakespeare comedies have servants and fools. Well, those are more like your nerds and your...
0: AV club members. Yes.
1: There is a lot of standard clickiness in high school movies that you know i i don't know i don't want to go into like a whole commedia dell'arte comparison here but you could go down that route as well
0: but here's my thing you're talking about comedies yeah taming of the shrew a comedy is not
1: or is it it's a comedy you want to get into Taming of the Shrew, we can get into Taming of the Shrew. I think we
0: should in case people are into this movie and haven't actually read the source material. Those lucky souls.
1: You don't need to read this play to watch this movie and enjoy it.
0: In fact, actually, no, I enjoy the movie more knowing how much worse it could have been.
1: 10 Things I Hate About You is the best adaptation of Taming of the Shrew and also is the only good one that I've seen. (laughs) So,
0: as you know from the film, Taming of the Shrew is about two sisters. The youngest one can't get married until the oldest one gets married. Obviously, it's changed to dating. And the oldest one is a bitch, apparently, and the youngest one is a saint, apparently. And some guys convince a guy to marry her for money so that they can marry the youngest one. Basically all you need to know about the plot.
1: It's very different. I'd just like to say, I hate this play. I think it sucks.
0: Shakespeare people are supposed to. It seems like Taming of the Shrew, because it's more well-known than some other works. And, like, Cat is an amazing character to play. Yes! Yes, for an actress, that's an awesome role. It doesn't mean that she's a good person and it definitely doesn't mean that is a good person. Marquez has a lot of feelings that he actually wrote down, so I'm going to let him talk about the play. Just know that I would love to play cat someday, and I would never want to be in a production of Taming of the Shrew.
1: <laughs> that's fair and just. So the editing is problematic. In order to make the play watchable, you have to break the play over your knee and change everything, which you can do, that's fine, So I think this play is good for an academic discussion. If you want to talk about how Shakespeare deals with feminism in his time. But if you wanted to perform it for money. Entertainment. Entertainment. I think that you should just find a different play to do. Because Petruchio forces Kat to submit to his whims. By starving her, abusing her, and forcing her to say that something that is a lie is true. So, a lot of people want to interpret this play as, well, in the end, maybe they tame each other. The problem is, Petruchio gets to act exactly the same, no matter what. There's nothing that Cat says that makes Petruchio subservient or have them on an equal footing, Not once is there a moment like that. You know, you can point to a few lines in which they talk about how the whole world sucks. So why don't you and me just like deal with it? But there is still a power imbalance there. There's always going to be a power imbalance when he is a man in this society and she is a woman. And at the end of the day, even if she winks at that final scene, because there's the last scene where she comes in and she has a speech about how she's happy to serve her husband. And a lot of productions will just have her wink like, I don't really mean it. Well, A, there's no wink in Shakespeare. You can interpret it how you want. You can always adapt it how you want. But it's just a kind of gross ending. And even if you like try to fix it, it's still again you'd have to change so much in order to make it feel perfectly good but it's not called the not taming of the shrew it's called the taming of the shrew and you know what 10 things that i hate about you is it's a rewrite of the end so it's like that's why i like it best as an adaptation because it says fuck you to that ending and to basically petruchio's entire character
0: I'm going to bring a little history into this right now when it comes to the original source of taming. It's safest to assume that Shakespeare didn't write it with any intentional wink at the end and didn't write it to show Cat as any means of happy in her own individuality because in early modern England, shaming shrewish women was a common occurrence and it was a local sport, basically. There were numerous contraptions that were used for public shame when it came to women who did as much as talk too much. I can go into a bunch, but I won't, because it's a little gross, but if you're interested, you can just look up cucking stools, pillories, which most people know about, and the scold's bridle. Those are just a few examples of things that were used for anyone that they thought wasn't a proper woman, which Kat definitely wouldn't be seen as. And with that... Out of the way, I think we should go back into the world of the film.
1: Yes. So this film, again, rule school. Love it so much. I do need to talk about the cast. All of these teen comedies have powerhouses. For some reason, just whatever happened in the 90s, maybe it was uh, economic stability, but all of these teen comedies are just like,
0: they got a Dreamcast.
1: They do have a Dreamcast. And the thing about these films is we say they have a Dreamcast, but it's like before they were big. So it's just now we know what these people have become and seeing their like baby roles, it's wild. First I need to talk about of course, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger in this movie plays Patrick Verona.
0: Again that name, um Wow.
1: Yeah, a lot of these names are just kind of...
0: Callouts to Shakespeare. Yes. Which, like, respect.
1: So Heath Ledger's amazing in this film. This is one of his first screen roles.
0: It was his first American film. It was
1: his first American film. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, sadly, Heath Ledger died in 2008, which is only nine years after this movie comes out. He was 19 during this movie he was 28 when he died. I'm 27 right now. Megan's 27 right now. And he had this role. Later he gets Brokeback Mountain, Night Tales after this. He has a couple of eh films, but then he gets Brokeback Mountain and The Joker one after another and then that's pretty much it. Like he is astounding in this film. He's charming as fuck. Shout out to Heath Ledger. No telling what his career might have become if he was still alive. I do want to talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in this film. What the fuck? He is a baby, a tiny bitty baby in this film. He was the kid in Angels in the Outfield. He was several other roles, a minor role in Halloween H2O, and then he was in 10 Things I Hate About You as everyone's favorite character from Shakespeare, Cameron James. <laughs> Not even Lucentio. They couldn't even have his last name be like Luce, Luce, I don't know, Lucy. But then he blows up, obviously. He's a big star now. Best friends with Brian Johnson. Best friends with Chris Nolan. In a bunch of their films while the uh, that like this was one of his first roles. Julia Stiles. The Shakespeare Lady Baby. What? <laughs> yes, the Shakespeare Lady Baby. This was her first lead role. She was in a couple of movies before this as minor characters, sisters and such. She was in Ghost Rider. Do you know Ghost Rider, Megan?
0: What the flame No. Skull?
1: Not Ghost Rider. Ghost writer? No. Well, that's a, it's a Canadian show about the goodness of writing. And there's a ghost in that. And in that show, she plays a hacker. We'll put a clip in the description of the episode. But after this, she does a whole bunch of shit. Like, she is the queen of the 90s. She's in Save the Last Dance. She's in O. She's in hamlet 2000 and you know she doesn't stop acting we just don't talk about her after the 90s uh, david Crumholtz, not a very big actor he was in numbers do you remember the show numbers
0: i know it existed
1: he was the lead of numbers he's been in a couple of things before this movie he was the kid in adam's family values Wednesday's right. boyfriend in yeah. Adams family values that was David Crumholtz. he later is the lead elf in Santa Claus movies yeah uh, he is. which is funny because he's super Jewish yeah and he, he is. was the main elf in a Santa Claus movie
0: yeah yes,
1: he but he's in this movie as well as Michael
0: <laughs> I don't
1: remember his last name He's Cameron's best friend. He's basically like the servant characters. Finally, last but not least, I want to talk about Larissa Olenek plays Bianca in this movie. She was Alex Mack from The Secret World of Alex Mack. And after this movie, she doesn't do a whole lot. She's always acting. She's always doing things, but she's not really that big. So like this cast has a lot of people you recognize, uh, and some that you might not. But let me tell you, this is like every single 90s movie is like this.
0: <laughs> and like every single 90s movie, I want to point out the fact that Heath Ledger might not have been Patrick Verona if the role had gone to one of the other contestants, which were Ashton Kutcher and Josh Hartnett.
1: Very big 90s stars. <laughs> Very big
0: 90s stars. Yes, I'm yes. really glad it was Heath Ledger. <laughs>
1: I got all it out. You got it I, out of your system? Yes, it's all out. Now uh, we can
0: actually talk about this film. Yes. We can talk about this film? Yes, we can. Starting with how it has been one week since you looked at me.
1: I'm sorry to tell you this, Megan, but I don't give a damn about my bad reputation.
0: The film opens with a car driving along Listen to- uh, No,
1: it opens with a chalk skyline of Seattle, and then it becomes real Seattle-
0: and then you see a car with a bunch of preppy girls driving along listening <laughs> to One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies. And then up comes a red car with cat in it.
1: And it's playing Bad Reputation. Yeah. First off, good a character introduction. Works quick. Yeah, I mean, they don't tell you anything. They show you everything about this character in the first few seconds of the film. You're like, I get who this is. So... And she rules she has a cool car, she listens to kicking music, and she doesn't give a shit about anyone.
0: Then we're introduced to a few other characters through their trips to the guidance counselor, Ms. Perky.
1: Ms. Perky, played by Allison Janney. She's the best character in the film, question mark? No,
0: she's not. She's great, though.
1: So, basically, she is and Janney just doing her thing, being a wonderful character actress, as Allison Janney always is. So we first meet Cameron, who's a son of a military guy transferred to many different schools. Basically, Miss Perky just gives him the lowdown that this is the same as any other school. And she openly swears in front of him. Just every single line that she says has the perfect inflection, go watch Miss Perky. Even if Megan doesn't agree that she is the best character in the film, Megan can at least hopefully agree with me that there should be more of her in the film.
0: I'm not sure because I think that the little sprinklings we get are perfect and we don't want to overdo it on the Miss Perky. We get her erotic novel writing, we get her swears, we get her... Scoot! Scoot! After he leaves.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, we meet Patrick Verona.
0: Ooh, what a bad boy who just moved back into town and showed his bratwurst to a lunch lunch lady. lady like it was a penis.
1: Weird attention to... This
0: movie has a lot of attention to genitalia and sexual parts of bodies of teenagers with the staff.
1: Like Shakespeare. Well, not. What? I mean, not the with the staff. <laughs> what I mean is a lot of attention to sexual reproductive organs and like things standing in for them. What I don't get is Miss Perky then changes her erotic novel to include bratwurst, which is not a sexy reference to a penis.
0: No, she just has some issues where she picks up anything she hears and writes it on down. Cameron gets shown around the school a bit. He, by
1: michael by michael david Crumholtz. david
0: Crumholtz, who is his servant character
1: yes and he introduces him to the cliques in the high school
0: that totally makes sense
1: i need to talk about the cliques the coffee people there's the white rastafarians who he says think that they're black how why what
0: I'm sorry, but can we move on to the next group that he introduces that are in yes. every high school, including yes. mine? Yes, yes, yes. The Cowboys? The
1: Cowboys. Uh, the closest thing they've come to a cow is McDonald's. That's a line from the movie.
0: Yeah, it's bad.
1: Yeah, what the fuck?
0: Why are there Cowboys? I
1: don't know, Megan.
0: None of these groups have anything to do with the taming of the shrew. I will bring us back to our main topic by saying that.
1: Yes, they- this is nothing to do with it.
0: But- continuing on that topic this scene includes a direct quote from the play
1: yes so bianca and her friend chastity played by gabrielle union who is too good for this movie sorry i'm
0: erasing that
1: sorry she deserves more lines in this movie but then cameron sees bianca and falls immediately in love with her
0: and he looks to her With Michael at his side and says, I burn, I pine, I perish.
1: Which is a direct quote. One of the only ones in the film. I like it. You like it when it's a direct quote.
0: It's one of the few ones that you can pull off. There are a lot of lines that you could not say a high school kid would ever say. And one, be liked. And two, be living.
1: So he thinks that she's great. And then it cuts to her and her friend having a conversation And what they say is, I know you can be overwhelmed, and I know you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? And Chastity replies, I think you can in Europe. Oh. What? The line is amazing. I love it to death. makes no sense. I don't know what the joke is. You could just be whelmed in Europe? Is that, like, content?
0: I don't think it matters so much that they don't know the intricacies of just being whelmed, but they are fully aware of the difference between love and like.
1: Oh, yes, because Bianca likes her Sketchers, but she loves her Prada backpack.
0: But I love my Skechers. That's because
1: you don't have a Prada backpack. Oh. Great lines. So this movie has great random lines in it, just like little gems tucked in. It's a
0: very quotable movie, and... Maybe one of those quotes is from Shakespeare.
1: <laughs> one or two.
0: And in the scene, we learn that there's no point in Cameron trying to date Bianca because she and her sister aren't allowed to date anyone. Yes. And that's the end of that scene. Yeah. We cut to the next scene, which is Kat's English class, where they're studying Hemingway.
1: Yeah, one of these girls is like, "Ah, oh, he's so romantic. Kat's having... None of this.
0: She's pissed off about the patriarchy. Pissed off about men being read when women aren't.
1: Yeah, she'd hate Midnight in Paris, that movie.
0: We see a lot of her contention for shitty men. We meet Joey.
1: And he just immediately just tries to fucking start something with Kat. I'm like, my dude, you have nothing.
0: He's making it about... Oh, maybe she's on her period, like. He's pulling the typical jerk jock moves in teen films.
1: Thankfully, the teacher is like, shut the fuck up.
0: Mr. Morgan, I think is. Mr. Morgan is. Mr. Morgan is an incredible, incredible character who, as much as we agree with Kat that, hey, maybe women authors should be right as well. Mr. Morgan's like, hey, what about black authors? What about anything? And Agreed. Agreed. And he also doesn't give a shit about anything that Joey's saying or anyone like this. But I want to point out a really great line that Kat says, which is, I guess in this society being male and an asshole makes you worthy of our time, which is true in this time, in our time,
1: and in the
0: 90s and in Shakespeare's time.
1: Yeah. All of them. I do like that. He does point out that, Kat, despite being right about certain things, is coming from a white privileged Middle
0: class. Upper middle middle class.
1: She's got a doctor for a father. Like, she's coming from, like, I have the ability to complain about these things. I have the privilege to be able to complain about things that don't really affect me.
0: And Mr. Morgan checks her privilege at the door. Yeah,
1: and that's fair. What isn't fair is that he sends her to miss perky's office for speaking out of turn but doesn't send joey to miss perky's office
0: it's fine no one goes to class anyway
1: patrick walks in asks what's going on and she says
0: learning about
1: the patriarchy patriarchy
0: and how it dominates their whole school and he says okay okay and walks right back out
1: (laughs) so no one goes to class and no one gets like reprimanded all that often in this school it doesn't look like any teacher's doing anything while kids are having conversations.
0: So let's just follow over onto to Ms. Perky's office, where everyone just goes to hang out, it seems.
1: The wildest thing is that people go to Ms. Perky's office to get reprimanded, and all she does is just say, Don't do that next time! And just sends them on their Half way. Half the time she
0: doesn't even do that. She says, What's another word for engorged? Yeah. And then sends them on their way.
1: Yes, fair. This also has another one of my favorite lines in which Miss Perky says, people seem to find you somewhat... Tempestuous. Heinous bitch is the word used most often.
0: Tempestuous uses the word tempest, like the Tempest, which is a Shakespeare play.
1: Yes, correct. You got the Shakespeare point. Do You want it? Yes. I want this to be kind of a through line in the episode. We see here that Miss Perky basically just tells Cat just be nicer. Try not to be so combative and then you'll get along, which sucks. It really is not helpful.
0: Welcome to being a woman throughout all time.
1: What Kat wants really is just for people to respect her and her ideas. And yes, she is being combative about it, but that's not a bad thing. She only is mean when people are mean to her. She's not going out of her way to just attack people.
0: This is one thing where I want to jump back to the play. Is that true of the cat we see in The Taming of the Shrew? No.
1: Why? Because it's written by Shakespeare. This is written by two women. Ten Things I Hate About You is written by two women. Taming of the Shrew is written by Shakespeare. And
0: Cat in Shakespeare's work... Beats up her sister. Most of the time we see her, she's being put in horrible situations and she's acting badly. Yeah. So you can't blame her. But there are also times when she beats her sister.
1: The way that the play would have you believe Kat is, is just that she is just wrong, but doesn't provide any reasoning for why she acts the way she does or anything like that. One thing about Kat in 10 Things I Hate About You which I feel like she learns, but she doesn't show right away, is that she has a weird contempt for her sister. I think that it is coming from, like, a protective viewpoint. But in doing so, she does have some reductive feminist ideas in that she thinks that Bianca is a person who's got internalized patriarchal ideas, Like, oh, you have to be pretty, you have to be smart, just so the men will like you. What she doesn't realize is that Bianca also just likes these things. She likes her butterfly tees, and she likes that. And women are allowed to like putting on makeup. They're allowed to like having their hair nice.
0: And women are allowed to like being liked and use what they have to live that life and i think
1: that eventually as we see in the movie cat does learn this but i think at the beginning of the film she is against that she's basically against anything that is the patriarchy and not realizing that it's a little bit more complicated
0: but also bianca gives her no space to not correct want the feminine basic ideal
1: Listen, that's the core of why this works and Taming of the Shrew does not.
0: Because it's about the two sisters trying to understand each other and their own perspectives? Yes,
1: and, you know, feminism in the 90s, I think that this play deals a lot with that. Like, the third wave of feminism.
0: Feminism is better in the 1990s than the 1600s?
1: Correct.
0: In the next scene, we find out that Bianca needs a French tutor. And Cameron's going to take that place. Yo, that's a thing straight from the play. Oh, oh, look at that. Lucentio tutors Bianca in Latin, and he is tutoring her in French. But in the movie, he doesn't know it at all, and yet still is able to tutor her?
1: Uh, it's weird.
0: I don't like those plot holes. They make it seem like language is way easier to learn than it is. It's
1: hard to learn. Also,
0: he's kind of a cute boy version of a himbo. He's just a dumb boy.
1: Yeah, he's kind of dumb. He's a dumb pretty
0: boy. And how is he supposed to be better at it than her (laughs) when he doesn't know it at all? We have a quick scene where, I mean, it's not very quick, but what's important is quick. Everyone's leaving school for the day. Joey is a disgusting person and is rude to Kat and then offers to give Bianca and Chastity a ride and they don't sit in the seats. They sit on top of the seats.
1: Dangerous. In
0: a convertible with no seatbelts and I scream as a mothering soul. I don't know. Then Cat almost hits Michael while he's on his bike. And then he says that he had a minor encounter with the shrew. <gasps> the what? one
1: that needs taming?
0: It's just like the play.
1: Oh, man. So he rides off on his bike and then a car starts leaving its parking spot. So he has to swerve. He goes down a hill and... It's a whole like two minute sequence and then he just kind of skitters to a stop and then stands up and raises his arms and then everyone cheers.
0: It's really unnecessary. Oh, super
1: unnecessary. I don't know why
0: that made the cut. I think because they went, oh, this scene's too short. Let's add a bike falling.
1: It doesn't even like raise his standing popularity wise. So it has no basis in anything. So the next scene, we go to Cat and Bianca Stratford's home.
0: Like Stratford-upon-Avon?
1: Yes, the very same place where Shakespeare himself grew up. Why is it their last name? Who's to say? Just because of Shakespeare. Shakespeare.
0: So at the beginning of this scene, there's like a long shot and I swear to God for a second that the dad was wearing a doublet and a poet shirt. He's uh, not. He's not. He's just a white shirt and a black vest. But look with my eyes when you watch this next.
1: I believe Megan. I didn't believe her. And then she made me watch it again. Yeah, he looks like he's got a doublet and, and a poet shirt, man. Her and her father, whose name I don't remember. Baptista. Baptista, it's not his name, but she has a discussion with her father. He gets a letter from Sarah Lawrence College. She opens it. She got in. But the thing is, they live in Seattle. Sarah Lawrence is in New York. He doesn't want her to go. They have a short fight about it before Bianca comes in.
0: Bianca, whose actress actually went to Sarah Lawrence in real life.
1: Correct. Bianca comes in, makes a joke about how Cat wants to go to Sarah Lawrence, And Kat pivots the conversation to her getting a ride home with a boy. Which gets the whole conversation started about the dating rule. And Bianca complains about how she does want to date and Kat doesn't want to date. At which point the dad takes that as a cue to change the rule from the fact that they both can't date to Bianca can date when Kat dates.
0: And this is another point where I go, man... The character in this movie is so much better than the character in the play, because in the play, Bianca and Kat's dad is like, oh, Bianca has so many suitors, but you can't get married until Kat gets married, because I want both of you married and fucked and out of my house. And that is disgusting, and I much prefer a father who's like, you can date when Kat dates, because then I never need to worry about you fucking and leaving my house.
1: Yeah, he doesn't want them to have sex.
0: He's a better father.
1: He is a better father. He is a little unruly about his rules, but everything that he does comes from a place of care. And also, he provides them with so much stuff and a nice house and like...
0: But also, they they point out the fact that he's a doctor who delivers babies. Yeah. So, it makes sense that he's hyper-focused on that with his daughters. And also,
1: their mom left. Mm Mm-hmm. We find that out in a later scene, and I think that that also affects his decision-making as well. Like, these are his daughters, they're his family, they're all he has left. And if they leave, and they go off and do things, you know, he's just left alone. And I think that that's also important to him. I think that all of these characters have layers and motivations, and that's what makes it good.
0: We also get to see the sisters doing some legit sister things of making fun of each other and just kind of mocking the way that the other talks. Yes. And that's much better than tying each other up and beating each other.
1: Yeah, that's much better than that, Megan. I agree. Good point, Megan. Hot
0: take, I know. The next day at school, we see the first French tutoring lesson between Bianca and Cameron that includes no French. And only and, asking to be on a date.
1: Okay, so his plan was, I will tutor him French so I can get close to her. And you right away just ask her out? Boy, she doesn't even know your name. Which she proves two different times in this scene. Which is a bad joke and I hate it because it makes her look like she... Doesn't
0: give a shit about anyone?
1: I know, but... Like, nobody doesn't give a shit about anyone to the extent that you would get their name wrong twice in, like, the course of five seconds. When nothing else is
0: around to distract you even from what they're saying?
1: Yes. It's just a little weak. But, you know, he asks her out for no reason. He does
0: it in a good way, but just at bad times. Yeah,
1: you just met her. You don't even know her as a person. Because
0: he says, let's work on pronunciation, maybe by going to a restaurant and ordering genius may be on lesson four at the earliest if it's like weekly
1: yes yeah and he mentioned sailing he mentioned it's like going to take her sailing
0: because it's a rich person thing that's what i think it is is it's a rich person thing and it's seattle
1: yeah no that's fair because i guess his dad is a military guy and her dad's a doctor so i guess they just have like money laying around
0: and, like, it's kind of a masculine, weird thing. And, like, he doesn't have a super cool car. But yeah. sailing is always cool. We also learn in this scene that Cat used to be popular. And that's all we have to say about that.
1: She does tell him about the change in the rule. I don't like when people trick each other into dating and things. I think it sucks. It works here eventually but just in general it's a very high school romance thing of just like well here's my plan to get her to date me i kind of like that bianca has agency in this scene even though she's using it for a shitty end i do like she does recognize that she can date someone if cat does she wants to date joey And Cam wants to date her. She recognizes both of these things. She has to. And she pushes Cameron to find someone for Kat to date by saying, like, well, I can only date you if Kat dates someone. She doesn't care about him. She wants her own end and I at least appreciate that on some level that they're giving even though it's like she's being as shitty as they are to get her own end. I like that she actually recognizes this and is like I'll just push this love desperate guy to find my sister a date so that I can date the boy that I want to date to and I think that's pretty cool. So Michael
0: helps Cameron find a group of Padua's finest because the high school is Padua High. If we haven't mentioned that.
1: Here's my question. Why does Michael help him?
0: Because he needs someone to help him get back at Bogey, maybe, in the future. Because Bogey told people he bought something at an outlet mall and now he wants revenge.
1: Bogey told people that Michael bought his iZods at the outlet mall. Don't even know what that is. It's a typo shirt.
0: What's bad about that? Aren't outlet malls cool?
1: Megan, you have to understand rich people.
0: Where would they get it otherwise?
1: At a regular store and the mall, the regular mall. Outlet malls are where you get overstocked things. So the
0: outlet mall where I grew up is better than the mall it had all the fancy stores. Me- Megan,
1: I understand. Megan? I'm confused. Megan, I get it. You're not rich. I wasn't rich either. You just have to understand that apparently that's something that people cared about. So maybe this whole thing is just Michael wanting to get revenge on Bogie Lowenstein.
0: So Michael introduces us to the finest that are guys, one of whom seems to be a sheep fucker. I don't understand what these men all have in common.
1: He asks them if they want to date Kat.
0: And they all say no in their own way.
1: Well, one of them says nothing.
0: Rules of consent. That's yes, a no.
1: But also, cool, you're just silent.
0: What brought these five guys together? That's what I want to know. But we don't find out. We just know that it's a no. So the next scene happens.
1: They failed in their search. And then they remember Patrick Verona, who's this hot guy. He's just really hot.
0: And really dangerous.
1: Dangerous. There are rumors about where he was for the past year because he wasn't in school. You know, if anyone, like, wasn't open about their life. It
0: was jail, rehab, or pregnancy. Yes,
1: for everyone in high school.
0: No matter who they were.
1: Yes. So apparently some of the rumors are that Patrick Verona set a state trooper on fire, did a year in prison. Which
0: of course means that he's horny.
1: And sold his liver for some speakers. And we also see that he just takes out a switchblade and stabs a, a dissection, dissection frog. frog in the center of it. He obviously doesn't give a shit about any of this. And then
0: he lights a cigarette in class. Yeah, he
1: turns on the Bunsen, the Bunsen, Bunsen burner, burner and he puts his fingers through the flame. And then he lights a cigarette.
0: That's in his mouth. He doesn't just light it on the thing and then put it in his mouth. He has it in his mouth. You have long locks. Don't yeah. put that near fire.
1: And then we see the best character in the I film. will agree
0: with you on this. Okay.
1: Scurvy... Scurvy is the silent, punk-looking, bald kid who stands next to Patrick in most of his scenes.
0: In other words, Grumio.
1: Yes. Who talks
0: a lot in Taming of the Shrew. So
1: there's really no connection here. One of the things he does is he puts out the cigarette because obviously that's a dangerous thing. It's
0: dangerous and you're going to get in trouble, man. he gives him like a little look like, come on. And
1: and like, this is a character who looks like how you think Patrick would look. Because here's the thing. They say all these things about Patrick, but like the most he has is a slightly tight fitting gray shirt. And jeans. And he doesn't look dangerous at all. He looks like a beautiful man. His
0: hair is long.
1: Oh, that's the reason why. And
0: he's Australian. They're all criminals. They're
1: all criminals. What girl wouldn't have a crush on that boy?
0: Apparently everyone. Because they're all afraid of him. Which, to be fair, Cameron tries to speak to him in shop class. And he drills a hole straight through his French book that is against his chest. That is terrifying. That's
1: so scary. Like, I know he has all these stories about him, but, like, you could have hurt that guy. They pinpoint that Patrick is the perfect person to take Kat out because she's scary and he's scary. I think part of the reason is that he could tame her, maybe, like...
0: The thing is, they never try to tame her. They just want to find her match so that she goes away.
1: And I think that him being scary, it's like, oh, well, he won't be afraid of her. It's not the fact that, like, he needs to change her.
0: But how are they supposed to get him with her if he won't even talk to them?
1: See, Michael was a young MBA before that motherfucker Bogey Lowenstein kicked him out by spreading a rumor. So he knows business. He knows that Joey's a model, so he has money. And so they go to convince Joey to convince Patrick through money to take out (laughs) Cat. Michael goes up to Joey to discuss this. He's drawing boobs on a lunch tray. tray. And at first, he's not reticent to Michael's very charming, awkward, bumbling. He mentions a peach fruit roll-up. Joey thinks Michael just wants to do this because he wants Joey to just say hi to him in the hall. To be popular by association. So, obviously, Joey's not smart. Because that's a really weird reason to... Try to convince someone to take someone on a date so that you can get with the girl that you want. Whatever. It's fine. And then during this scene, Joey draws a penis on Michael's face.
0: And a fun bit of trivia is that apparently the actor who played Joey did not know how to draw penises, which is the weirdest thing I've heard for a teenage boy. So David Kromholtz had to teach him how to draw a penis on his own face. Wild. Wild. And this is very similar to a plot in The Taming of the Shrew, where Lucentio and his man want to make Hortensio think that he's calling all the shots while Lucentio is secretly getting closer to Bianca. In the next scene, we get Joey convincing Patrick to take Cat on a date. He says that he'll back them, give him 20 bucks. And then we get some amazing math from Patrick Verona, who says, you know... A movie, that's $15. Popcorn, in his mind, apparently costs $38. And then the raisinettes that she'll obviously want would be another $22? So that's $75. Which is like Petruchio, who is a devil and a horrible person, but knows how to play people.
1: Yep. He just immediately goes up to Kat.
0: He takes the money and walks right up to her. Wild. Which also is similar to the play. Yes. Literally, they go, Petruchio, there's this woman that you should try to meet. And he goes, oh, cool. And then he goes to the house and says, hey, I'm marrying your daughter even faster.
1: Yes, 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 yes. He tries to flirt with her. Obviously, it doesn't work.
0: Because as she says, do you even know my name, Screwbag?
1: (laughs) Yes. Good insult, question
0: mark? I mean, accurate.
1: I mean, yes, correct.
0: That line is actually really reminiscent of the play because he comes up to her and says, Good morrow, Kate, for that's your name I hear. And she says, Well, have you heard but something hard of hearing? They call me Catherine that do talk of me.
1: Why do people ask each other out right away in this movie?
0: Because it can only be so long. Oh,
1: yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I get it. It's because the movie's like an hour and a half long. We get a kind of an interstitial scene just at night between this day and the next where Kat and Bianca are talking about how they present themselves. I do like that. It's not about boys necessarily. It's about how they look and Bianca doesn't like that Kat portrays herself in an aggressive way. Kat doesn't think that. Bianca should be presenting herself in a way...
0: In the way that everyone wants her to be. She wants her to be herself. Because she thinks that those two things can't be the same.
1: Yes, and I think Bianca makes a good point of, I like being adored. We do get a moment where we learn that their mother left their father. This is where we learn this, because Kat notices that Bianca's wearing pearls, and asks where she got them, and... Bianca says that she found them in their mother's jewelry drawer. And Kat gets really upset about this. And, you know, it's a really nice moment that doesn't really have anything to do with the plot of the movie. But it really shows that Kat and Bianca have very different ways of viewing their mother leaving. I think Kat views it as she's still around, like she has some sort of respect for her mother. She doesn't want Bianca to wear those pearls. And Bianca's like, she's gone. Like, she's not coming back. They
0: might as well be mine now.
1: Yes, I like it. I I don't know what to say. I think it's a very good character-driven scene.
0: It also just gives a reason for some of the tension that we see in this house that we didn't necessarily understand. Because it's a little shallow if it's just because of wanting to date.
1: In the next scene, Patrick... Follows her to a music store where she has just bought a CD. And she's trying to get back into her car. And he tries to flirt with her once again. Again, it's not working.
0: Or Uh, is it?
1: You know, how can you, when Heath Ledger comes up to you and says, I'm sure you thought of me naked. It's charming.
0: Also weird.
1: It's weird, but... I love her reaction to it. She's very sarcastic. Sarcastic. I love you. I need you. I want you. Oh, I need
0: I... you. Oh, baby. Oh, baby.
1: So good. Perfect. And respect to Patrick. He tried it. It failed again. He kind of backs off again. And then Joey drives his cart into the middle of the street and parks and gets out of his car to just go and shop somewhere and just does it
0: behind the cars. He like double parks. It's but not even it's double not even, parking. He just T parks with her. Yes.
1: And that's he illegal. He boxes her in. That's illegal. So and she
0: rams his car and it's yeah, fine.
1: Yeah. And she says, whoops. And then we cut immediately to the next scene
0: where uh, her dad is upset that she hit someone's car.
1: Again, we have a push and pull here in the household. Cat and Bianca trying to get the other one to acquiesce. Bianca wants Cat to just date someone, and Cat wants her to not worry so much about
0: dating. We also get more of Cat and her father just kind of bashing heads over her desire to go to Sarah Lawrence, and really, in general, her desire to stand up to him and not just be his little girl.
1: Yes. I love that the conversations end so abruptly because he has to go to work. It feels like these conversations aren't huge shouting matches or things that actually like really hurt them. I feel like these are just family members that love each other and that it's like, we'll talk about this disagreement later. I have to go do something. They don't take it with them.
0: But at the same time, I think it's still festers. So there's still tension It's not anger necessarily, but there's still tension. And then the next time that they see each other, they don't have time to bring up the other thing because something else has come up because everyone's teenagers and life is always happening.
1: And their dad's a doctor, so he's always busy.
0: Next scene, Patrick requests that dates now cost $100 from Joey.
1: Yeah, rightfully so. He can't get her to go on a date with him. That's it, that's the It's same. a lot more
0: work, so he wants to be better compensated. Which is like a weird parallel of, in Taming, Cat and Bianca's father is obsessed with who can bring the most money. Yes. And this is a weird, similar take on that.
1: So I think that because of the fact that Patrick hasn't been successful, this plan isn't working. We need to work harder on it. And so... The boys, Cameron and Michael, go to Patrick and say that they're going to try to help him woo Kat. Find out what she likes in order to mold Patrick into a man that Kat would go on a date with.
0: In the way of doing that, they plan to hijack Bogie Lowenstein's party that's all for MBAs and make it a crazy high school party with beer and rowdiness at the same time, that will obviously get back at him for that terrible, terrible rumor he spread about Michael in the very beginning of the
1: movie. Pay off.
0: We also get a very short scene of Joey showing two of his modeling pictures to Bianca. I think the white one looks best just like Bianca does. I
1: think that his black shirted one looks best. I do like, however, that she says it makes him look more pensive. And he says... Damn, I was going for thoughtful. And she does get a look as though she's starting to see...
0: That he's an idiot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say the cracks in his armor. And he's not really someone that she wants to date. She starts to kind of lose that interest.
0: But she still decides that she's going to help the plan of getting Kat with Patrick. Well,
1: no matter what, she still wants to date. Right. Her and Cameron have a discussion going over that. She doesn't like smoking. And she likes pretty boys is the two things that she offers to Cameron right away. But they need to do a little bit more research in order to properly get Patrick knowledgeable about her likes.
0: So they go into her room. Yeah. The second they walk in, it becomes apparent there's a lot of stuff she likes, guys.
1: Also, she rides around in her car listening to Riot Girl music. You don't think that maybe, just maybe... She likes female-led bands and female authors.
0: She mentioned Sylvia Plath twice by this point.
1: The fact that her sister doesn't know what her likes are is wild. Even if, like, I didn't like my siblings, I still knew what they were into. Because, what, do you not pay attention to the music that your sibling listens to probably too loud at night? And so when they go into her room, she's got posters All over her bedroom wall? You've never been into your sister's bedroom?
0: If Bianca had said, man, there's stuff all over her walls, the second you walk in there, I'm sure we'll learn a lot, or that'll tell you all you need to know, I'd be much more okay with this whole scene.
1: Also, she makes a weird statement about black underwear. She says, if a girl has black underwear, it means she wants to have sex because she wants someone to see her in the black underwear. Maybe she just likes black underwear.
0: And maybe she likes having something that if you're wearing darker pants doesn't shine through because it's light.
1: Even though it's not right, I do like that Cameron asks Bianca if she has any black underwear. And she's just like, no.
0: She also has a picture of Jared Leto, which in the 90s makes a lot of sense. Fair. I understand it. My so-called life. He's beautiful in. But also, now it sucks because he's a weirdo creep with a cult. Moving on. Cameron takes this information to the bar. The bar. The
1: bar that Patrick regularly hangs out and has beers in? What bar is this?
0: Obviously, Seattle doesn't check ID or care.
1: Yes, because like they just walk in no matter what. And apparently, Patrick's just a regular here.
0: And this scene does prove... That not everything people say about Patrick is true because he obviously did not sell his liver on the black market for a new stereo.
1: Cause he's drinking beer. So basically, they tell him he can't smoke anymore, and there is a great moment because then they mention that Cat likes pretty boys.
0: He is dejected. He, he is, is hurted.
1: He just says, "Am I not pretty?"
0: What was that accent? And, I Kat's don't scene? know. I
1: can't do an Australian accent. But the way he says, "Am I not pretty?" Breaks your fucking heart. Honey,
0: you are beautiful. You are not only pretty. You are
1: beautiful. It's Heath fucking Ledger.
0: So they tell him all about her likes and her black panties. And that means, oh man, he's got to go to Club Skunk where he doesn't want to go. Which is totally fair because as soon as we get to Club Skunk, it is readily apparent that that is a lesbian bar. Oh,
1: yeah. It's so cool. All these ladies are there. Uh, Obviously that it's just a place for them to feel safe. Granted, Patrick knows the bartender in this bar. I don't know if you noticed that moment. It's weird. This is the moment where it starts working because he plays it off so cool. He's just acting like he's always going to this bar and when cat comes to confront him for being here he smoothly just goes actually you're kind of ruining this for me (sighs) which is perfect he's here to listen to letters to cleo but not letters to cleo because they don't use that name in the movie it rocks and it's so funny because i think that's what gets her interested in him is that He's playing hard to get, which is normally in fiction, a quote unquote girl move is playing hard to get for the guy.
0: But at the same time, he's also playing hard to get because, can you stop talking? I'm trying to listen to my favorite band, Letters to Cleo. (laughs) Yep. Well, that's my favorite band. (laughs)
1: Yes. And also there's uh, another one of my favorite jokes in fiction, which is he's yelling something because the music's very loud and he says that. Her dancing, uninhibited, is the sexiest he's ever seen her. But he says...
0: I've never seen you look so sexy, I think it's
1: Yes, I've never seen you look so sexy. And then the music...
0: Cuts at sexy. And
1: so he just yells sexy. Love that joke. Love and it.
0: all these women are like, a male voice calling a girl sexy. What is he doing? Oh, he's no problem. Yeah,
1: they laugh at him. I think it's great. He is cut down in that scene.
0: To be fair, though... Seeing her dancing in a place where she obviously feels really happy and safe makes me almost want to cry because of how much she puts up walls this whole movie. Yes. And it's so nice to see her literally just enjoying her life and being in her moment and in her element. And that's honestly probably where he starts falling for her
1: too. Hell yeah, Megan. In the next scene, we see chastity and bianca try to sneak out the front door past bianca's dad and he mentions you should have tried the window yeah why are they sneaking out the front door what shitty sneaky teens but you know he yells at them for trying to sneak out and i think that bianca once again just tries to get cat to go with them and this time it does work Basically, she says, I'll go with you. We won't drink. We won't do anything bad. But she does it, I think, for her sister.
0: She's against it until Bianca says, will you just please be my sister? And that gets her.
1: Yeah. Then their dad makes Bianca wear a pregnancy belly.
0: (laughs) To know the consequences of her actions.
1: This is, I think, the most wild the dad gets. (laughs) Anyway... They're about to leave, and they open up the door, and Patrick's there.
0: So unlike Petruchio, who in Taming of the Shrew is constantly not there when he's supposed to be.
1: They didn't discuss this, because he mentions, you know, are you going to Bogey Lowenstein's party during the concert scene? He says, will you go with me? She says, maybe. And he says, is that a yes? No. Is that a no? no? No. I like that, but he does show up. And I don't think it's meant to be weird. It's just kind of like, well, if she wanted to go, I'm here.
0: You can turn me away right now if you want.
1: But then she says, like, I'm driving, which I also like.
0: Also, he has a really choice look for Bianca wearing this pregnancy belly. And he's like, who knocked up your sister? And he gives this look like, ew. (laughs) And then turns around and I'm like, yes, this is where we get Patrick Verona being like, Bianca's not shit. (laughs) Yeah you got to believe that Cat heard that and possibly saw that face. And that is one more step to liking him.
1: So, I don't know. The boys get ready for the party. It's a boring
0: short scene. We skip it. The party happens. Yes.
1: Megan's terrified.
0: There are a bunch of teens running towards this nice house.
1: Yeah, and they're like just getting cigars and they're just being like, well, don't get too wild with these cigars, boys.
0: Whoever is going to come with the brie soon. Oh,
1: I mean... Let's be real. If someone came over to my house with Brie, love it.
0: And that boy did come with the Brie being stampeded over. By
1: a lot of teens. And they just kind of like set up the party for them and bring the beer, even though the flyer- And the speakers? Yeah. Even though the flyer said free beer. So they just basically made this party, which is not how this would work.
0: Yeah, it would be a bunch of teens being like, woo, and showing up and being like, where's everything? And they'd be like, not here, leave. And they'd be like, this sucks, and leave.
1: Yeah. It's okay. We'll forgive the move for this. Everyone shows up. Immediately, Joey yells at Kat that he's going to sleep with her sister and that there's nothing that she can do about it. Huh, what an asshole. Which causes her to start drinking. Which is a bad decision. I get it. You're stressed. And- you're stressed
0: you're sick of your walls not being enough. So you say, fine, fuck it. I'll take them all down.
1: Yep. Cameron goes up to Bianca expecting that they'll like hang out at this party and he'll express himself romantically towards her and then Joey comes down the stairs. And invites her upstairs. Yeah. And she hangs out with him and Cameron's heartbroken. And then Bianca hangs out with Joey for a little bit.
0: Finds out he's a dumb self-absorbed idiot.
1: Yes. And then a fight happens and Joey goes fight and then he abandons her to go watch this random two guys fighting meanwhile cat is drinking way too much
0: patrick is trying to slow her down and she's like fuck you
1: don't try to control me i'm making my own decision like i'm
0: trying to do what everyone wants me to do i'm trying to be a teen yes and she like pushes him away and just keeps going
1: yes and she like gets up on the table starts dancing she ditches him
0: like petruchio ditches cat
1: yes and Joey thinks, oh, he's all impressed with her. <sighs>
0: Everyone's disgusting and cheering her on and like, Ooh.
1: And then she hits her head on the chandelier and just falls. So, and thankfully, Patrick's there to guide her outside.
0: And Bianca looks absolutely like abhorred watching this happen.
1: Yes. Joey invites Bianca and Chastity to an after party. Bianca says no. Chastity kind of betrays her friend here and says, you had your chance with Joey. I'm going to take my shot. And I think that Bianca's sad that her friend is leaving her. But at this point, she does not want to be with Joey anymore. I think
0: also it's a really great moment for her to completely cut him. You don't have to worry about this anymore because he is now possibly with your friend and you are out of the picture.
1: Not to mention that Bianca has every chance to prove Kat and her father right in that she'll make a mistake. She'll act out and she doesn't get drunk. She maybe has one drink. It's not clear. if She's drinking like diet Coke or something. She just has like a can. So it might be a beer. It might be something else, but she doesn't get wild. She doesn't hook up with Joey. So like, she's being a good person. She's doing what they asked her to where Kat is now not And I think that's a very good moment. She is the only one, I think, at the party who's really seen everything that's happening. And she goes after Cameron and recognizes that he really did care about her and goes after him. And he just kind of is really dejected. But he does offer to drive her home. But we have to cut back to...
0: Before that. Before
1: that with Kat and Patrick. This is... Patrick realizing that Kat is drunk, A, and B, that she has hit her head and might have a concussion. He just is caring for her. And it's so good. Until
0: bitch boy Cameron comes up and is like, I need to talk to you right now. And he's like,
1: I'm dealing with a thing. And he's
0: like, give me a minute. And I'm like, oh my God, Cameron. I understand that you're mad that Bianca went upstairs with Joey, but you don't even realize that she's done with Joey right now. And you're being a little bitch baby. And I'm so mad. He's trying to take care of Kat.
1: Yes. And he's doing a good job. But he does help Cameron. He pulls him aside. He tells Cameron, Joey's not half the man that you are.
0: Don't let anyone make you feel like you don't deserve what you want.
1: And just gives him that advice and then pushes him him on on his way. way. And then goes back to taking care of Kat. And I think this is, like, great. Like, Bianca and Patrick both here are great because they're just trying to control this wild party situation this
0: scene makes me wish a million times over that petruchio was actually a <laughs> nice person at all because patrick is
1: <laughs> because then we have a scene where they sit outside and they just have a nice conversation
0: she starts falling asleep he slaps her awake but gently yeah. she notices he has green in his eyes
1: and then she vomits.
0: And he doesn't even hold back her hair.
1: Okay, that's the one point against Patrick Verona, is that he doesn't hold back her hair, because she's got long hair.
0: But otherwise, what a gentleman.
1: So then, later in the night, there are two car scenes that happen. One between Patrick and Kat, and one between Cameron and Bianca. And Kat mentions how she wants to start a band, but her father would never let her, because obviously he wants her to go to college, get a degree, get a job, you know, what people expect her to do. And Patrick tells her that you should go for it. You should do it. If you want to do it, if you think you're going to be good, then you should do it.
0: They also bond over disliking how Bianca's been acting.
1: Yes, uh, because she's been acting pretty bad. Tonight is an exception, but they don't know that. They
0: weren't paying attention to her tonight. They were drinking or taking care of a drunk person.
1: You know, they connect and... I really think that Kat's finally really feeling feelings for Patrick. He did take care of her. He's been talking to her. He's actually listening to her and not just trying to get with her. And I think that that's the moment that she realizes and she goes in for a kiss. And Patrick does not kiss her.
0: Because he's a good boy and she's a dumb drunk bitch and she gets mad.
1: Yeah, she gets mad at him. From her perspective, I get it because... She's feeling like, I finally opened up to someone, and they didn't want to kiss me. She doesn't get the context of, well, you're drunk, your breath smells like vomit.
0: Girl, you can't give consent right now. Yeah,
1: and he recognizes that. And he
0: accepts that and will not push that.
1: I think it's great that they show Patrick as somebody who drinks beer, who, like, smokes, or, like, he has vices, and then... Honestly, when it comes down to it, he is a responsible adult.
0: And a respectful adult. Yes. What bothers me is she gets all in a huff and I'm like, guys, you should just like communicate. I know. Right after, like the next day and they take a while and it makes me mad.
1: Yeah. But she runs off because she's upset because she opened up and he rejected her according to her.
0: And then we go to another car also talking about rejection and emotions.
1: Basically, Cameron just flat out tells Bianca that she played with him, which she did. She played with his heart and she was being very selfish and making it all about her. I don't like bringing up like, well, women played with your emotions, but she literally played with his emotions in order to get something that she thought she wanted and ignored his feelings,
0: And then she didn't even treat him like a friend at the party. No. That's where the line is very clearly crossed. You should be more considerate of others' feelings. Yes. When they're not doing anything wrong.
1: But I think the good thing is she admits this. She doesn't defend herself. She just says, yes, uh, I was being selfish. And I think that's great.
0: But then it's weird for me because he talks about how much he stood up for her. And that's the moment that she goes... Oh, I kiss you. Yes. And I'm like, yo, that's still kind of selfish. Maybe you should communicate with him more and, like, actually apologize.
1: Yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little muddied. But they kiss.
0: Good for them. I mean, I care more about them than Bianca then, and Lucentio in the. Yes. Book, but
1: Bianca has more of a character here.
0: Everyone does. Yeah. At least more of a soul. So after all this drama, we have to return to school life. And we had a little English class bit where Mr. Morgan raps part of a sonnet, and it's fun. And then he gives them an assignment to rewrite that sonnet.
1: In your own words. In their
0: own words. And
1: Kat raises her hand and asks a legitimate question, which is, do you want this in iambic pentameter?
0: And then he starts thinking that she's just fucking with him for saying that she likes it because she's usually all up in arms about everything that he suggests. So then he ends up sending her to Miss Perky's.
1: He also does say Shakespeare may be a dead white guy, but he knows his shit, which is true and basically encapsulates our podcast.
0: The scene is short and is followed by a scene of characters we don't really know. It's a girl who Kat is friends with, with, but we don't really even know her name.
1: Excuse you. It's Mandela.
0: She is obsessed with Shakespeare
1: they're involved
0: yeah that's weird
1: it's weird Um, uh she carries around a complete works with her in the movie you can see it if you look closely it's a big volume with gold foiling on the pages
0: and michael has decided that he will woo this woman not yet yes he has not yet no he has Here's my problem with the scene, because they make it obvious that this is the scene where he decides to because he quotes Shakespeare at her in well, a romantic way, except for what he quotes at her.
1: First off, the reason he's doing it is because he wants to know what Kat's thinking about Patrick right now after the party. That's the reason why he starts talking to her.
0: That's why he walks up to her. But yes. the second that she's like, oh, I'm a big nerd, he gets a nerd boner. Oh, yes. And goes, oh, wait, this can be two things. And so he, as many people keep doing in these adaptations and stage plays and things that we see, uses, of course, a perfect quote for romance because it's not like there are actual romantic quotes that Shakespeare wrote. So he circles her while saying, who could refrain that had a heart to love and in that heart courage to make his love known? I don't know if you know Shakespeare, but, uh, that little ditty's from Macbeth.
1: Well, she says it's from Macbeth.
0: Yes, yeah, she does say it's from Macbeth, uh, but what she should have said is, that's from Macbeth, when Macbeth has just killed the king and his guards, and then is trying to explain why he murdered the king's guards in the middle of the night. Yeah. I don't want to make love to anyone who thinks that's romantic.
1: I agree, Megan.
0: I have so much respect for these screenwriters, so I don't want to imagine them just going to Google and typing Shakespeare,
1: love quote,
0: love, and that being the first one, and them going, ooh, juicy, but oh my god, that's how I feel right now.
1: Yes. Moving on. We cut to, again, the football field, and Michael comes to Patrick and Cameron with the information that Kat fucking hates Patrick right now. Cameron mentions how he's back on with the plan because Bianca kissed him, so.
0: It's a pretty short scene where they're just like, man, we're screwed. And then Cat kicks a soccer ball in their direction violently, and it's like, ooh, scene over. Yep. The next scene, prom's coming up. Mandela is holding her copy of the complete works, and she and Cat aren't gonna go to prom.
1: Because they're making a statement against the patriarchy.
0: And that's it. That's that scene. Good for them. The next scene is another short scene. Again on the field. And Bianca is practicing archery, as you do in high school.
1: And Joey comes up to her and says that he's going to take her to prom.
0: As she shoots a man with an arrow.
1: She's distracted. It's obvious also that she has decided that she doesn't like Joey anymore. But Joey is way too into himself and this plan that he doesn't recognize that she's not into him anymore.
0: The next scene is really good. Okay, well, the beginning of the scene is not great. Patrick is like, I'm done with this game. And then Joey's like, what about $300 for the prom? And he's like, thanks for the money, man. But then the scene continues on to show Patrick once again following Kat as she's doing things that she likes, going to the bookstore, going to the music store. But instead of coming up behind her and saying something, he just. Lets her be. And you can tell that she like notices sometimes that someone's there. but by the time that she looks, he's stopped. He's no longer going to be a thorn in her side. He's letting her be
1: yep. I mean, he does confront her in the bookstore.
0: It's much less of an invasion of privacy no, least in that place, no,
1: yeah. he's just kind of he wants to talk to her, and she's not having any of it. And he realizes that he needs a big gesture. He needs to express himself, which leads to. You're just
0: too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off of you. You'd feel like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much.
1: So Megan really likes the big gesture. As scene. long oh. as
0: love has arrived, I'm, I'm sorry. And I thank God I'm alive.
1: So You're Patrick pays. K-
0: too good to be true. He pays
1: the band uh, to play the song, and then goes up to the booth in order to turn on the. can take
0: my eyes off of you. The PA
1: system. Wildcat is in soccer practice slash gym. And then he does a big gesture and sings a song in front of (laughs) anyone. (laughs) No, you could just, you should just keep doing it, Megan.
0: I need you, baby, to on the lonely night. I love you, baby. Trust in me when I say, oh, pretty oh, okay. baby. Oh, you were done. Don't bring me down, I pray. Oh, pretty baby, now that i found you, stay. And let me love you, baby. Let me love you.
1: Oh, when they close up on Heath Ledger. Oh, uh, when they close up on Heath Ledger, heart breaks. So. I mean,
0: he is a little pitchy.
1: Well, okay. But also,
0: that makes it genuine.
1: Yes, it makes it real. And he's running away from the security guard. He snacks on the
0: butt and cats laughing. And yeah. all the girls are like, who is that guy? Yeah, it's so Ugh.
1: good. It is so pure. It is. Here's what I'll connect it to. In Taming of the Shrew, there is a scene where Petruchio shows up in the most ridiculous outfit ever. But the reason he does that is to say fuck you to
0: societal norms.
1: Societal norms. Here he makes a fool of himself for her. And I think that that's a beautiful gesture. (sighs) He is willing to be a silly singing man and just express himself openly for her and i think that that's what gets her
0: i have to give a million million dollars to julia styles who has far more money than me for making them use that song
1: yes it was her suggestion it's great so they're back on
0: oh they're back on <laughs> but oh no Patrick's oh. in detention. Yeah,
1: he's in detention. Because
0: because he did a big gesture.
1: Yeah, he did that big gesture. So this is a weird scene.
0: The coach who's running detention. Yes. Um, He forces a kid to admit that he has weed on him. Takes confiscates it, it. And then he also confiscates some Cheetos from another kid. And I'm like, oh, you going to smoke that weed, you coach. <laughs> and I laughed too much for what that deserved.
1: Yep. And then we get into a wild moment like one of the weirdest moments in the movie so in order to get patrick out of detention because they want to hang out and as a gesture back to him she tries to sneak him out of detention and she does so by talking to the coach you know she's part of the soccer team he's the coach and she tries to distract she him. flashes him yeah she flashes him what
0: this is far worse than pretending a bratwurst is your penis. This is
1: far worse than taking over the PA system.
0: How is she not getting suspended for this? She
1: should be suspended for this.
0: Nothing happens.
1: Nothing happens. She's to her. allowed
0: to go to prom. Yeah. Spoiler alert.
1: So this has no consequence. Anyway, they're in a paddle boat.
0: And they're just talking.
1: He says something really good to her. He asks her why. She puts up this front.
0: So the best part of that is he doesn't say, why do you put up this front? Yes. He says, so what's your excuse? Yes. She says, excuse for us. And he says, for acting the way that we do.
1: Beautiful.
0: My heart. Why is Petruchio not this good?
1: <laughs> yeah. Petruchio sucks. Patrick's good. She mentions how she doesn't want to do what everyone expects her to do. So you disappoint them from the start and then you're covered, right?
0: Something like that.
1: Then you screwed up. How? You never disappointed me. God! Just gets you!
0: He's so good!
1: And then they have a cool paintball scene. And it's not paintball guns. No, it's
0: balloons, and that's all I want in my life.
1: It's so cool.
0: And I wish that Kate and Petruchio had a paintball balloon fight that they could have instead of their weird, terrible relationship. Yes,
1: yes, yes. And... This might come up later. Don't know if it does. Marquez likes a messy kiss.
0: Everyone loves a messy kiss.
1: Like they're dirty. They're covered. At least everyone at this table. They're covered in in paint. paint.
0: (sighs) They're in hay. And then she smashes him with paint on his head right at the end of the kiss. Great. Perfect relationship.
1: Yep. Love them.
0: And then they go home And they start talking about their truths compared to what everyone else sees them as. And he explains that, like, no, he wasn't in jail. He wasn't lighting state troopers on fire. His grandfather was dying. And he was out visiting his grandfather, which, by the way, is very similar to where Petruchio was at the start of the play. He was just returning because he was watching his father die. Oh! Or grandfather. One of his patriarchal family members.
1: That's interesting. I didn't know that. It's
0: the same.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: A small little thing they did not have to do. And they did.
1: But then he says to Kat, go to prom with me. To which she replies, is that a request or a command? And uh, that's where he fucks up. Is that he doesn't ask her to prom. I mean, and he's being romantic while he says it he's like breathing into her ear like go to prom with me
0: but it's not how they've been going
1: yes and she gets a little suspect and she starts accusing listen she's just being defensive that's who she is because it
0: sounds like he has a plan
1: yes which he does but she doesn't know it And she starts questioning him, like, what do you get out of this?
0: And then he pulls out a damn cigarette. Because he
1: gets stressed.
0: But he wasn't supposed to be a smoker. I know,
1: Megan. And that's why she really doesn't trust him again. Immediately back to where they started. And
0: I break? Just a little bit. Yep. But it's okay, because the next scene, Michael, who I kept referring to as William in my notes, does a beautiful thing, and he asks Mandela to the prom. By putting a costume in her locker.
1: And a note that is from William Shakespeare.
0: Inviting her to the prom.
1: Yes, it is really sweet. Whereas Patrick did a big gesture, this is a small, well, it's a pretty big gesture. That's what expensive. But probably it's a expensive. quiet gesture. It's a quiet
0: and very personally charged gesture. Listen,
1: I stand this couple.
0: Yeah. I
1: don't know why.
0: Because he knows what she's into and he goes for it. Yeah. It's because we're Shakespeare nerds. Yes.
1: If someone did that to me, I would cry.
0: And then Bianca is annoyed that Cameron hasn't asked her out when, um, excuse me, girl, he asked you out the first day he spoke to you.
1: Yeah. I I think what she means is asking her to prom. Still... Because, of course, like, she's a sophomore, so she can't just go to prom. But
0: so he's a senior?
1: Yeah, I don't know, Megan. I think he's a senior.
0: But he's not in Cat's classes, and every senior that we know is in Cat's class. Yeah,
1: I don't know, Megan. It's weird. They don't really bring it up.
0: The next scene is super short. It shows that Mr. Stratford tries really hard to be hip and down with the lingo of the kids. It calls Dawson's Creek Dawson's River. It's very timely. It's short and it's bumbling. Yeah, it's
1: basically just so that Bianca can once again state, I want to go to prom. Anyway, moving on. Oh, yeah. So then we cut from that scene to a random ad for the real world, basically, because we go to her room and she's, like, being sad on her bed. Because
0: do we need to talk about the real world? Did
1: they need to talk about the real world, Megan? No. So I get to mention it.
0: And now you have. Okay. So Cat, on. <laughs> so Cat comes in.
1: So Kat comes in. And she recognizes that her sister's upset.
0: So they have a heart-to-heart. And we find out that when Kat was popular, she dated Joey.
1: <gasps> gasp.
0: In the ninth grade. Gasp. And even more gasp. They fucked.
1: Yeah, they did. And she didn't like it.
0: And it was just because everyone else was doing it, and she was doing what she thought she was supposed to do, and what everyone expected of her. And it
1: happened right after Mom left, is what she says. So this is, like, we know all about Kat now. This is why she's the way she is. She just had a tough beginning of high school.
0: And she tries to explain that she acts how she does to Bianca's because... She doesn't want Bianca to go through the same thing, especially with the same
1: sleazeball. And Bianca mentions, I'm not going to make the same mistakes. I'm smart. You gotta trust me.
0: And like Marquez alluded to before, her trying to defend Bianca is keeping Bianca from experiencing her life and being a teen.
1: I mean, maybe you gotta make mistakes.
0: That's how Kat learned.
1: It's like a very heartfelt moment of just like you got to let me make my own mistakes, but I'm smart and I you got to trust that I am. What I like about this is we don't see Kat coming to this decision. We don't see her say I'm going to go to prom and you get to go too. She sees her sister outside sitting, being sad, and then we cut to the night of the prom. Cameron shows up He's a very nice boy, very polite, talks to her dad. Tries to shake his hand. And he's like, you can't go to prom. Kat's not going. And Kat is going to prom.
0: Kat actually leaves for prom before yes. he shows up. And she's like, bye, I'm going to prom. And he's like, "Ha, very <laughs> funny.
1: funny. So she goes to prom with Patrick. Bianca goes to prom with Cameron. And then Joey shows up.
0: Just like Hortensio. What a fool.
1: Yep. And I love this moment because Dr. Stratford opens up the door. Joey's like, I'm here to pick up your daughter, Bianca. And he just closes the door on his face without a word. And it's great. So, prom.
0: There's a super sweet look between Bianca and Kat. That's so nice because they're both just like, oh, hey. And this is where I'm like, Nice. You guys are friends and sisters. Yeah. Unlike some people who are sisters in a play that I read.
1: <laughs> I also just like that Kat sees Cameron and just kind of goes, oh.
0: Yeah, she's like, much better choice. Yeah,
1: that's not Joey Donner.
0: It's almost like a moment where she's like, you listen to me, but she didn't have to. She made that choice herself before she even knew about joey and her sister's past yep
1: so everything's great right now yeah and then mandela comes in in her dress looking for her secret admirer and the cat laughs and points up on the stage and on the stage we see michael megan i'm going to let you go off now
0: my name is megan charlo and when i was in college i was the costumer for a shakespeare company and my mother has been a costumer and seamstress for my entire life. And I have nothing but respect for Tessa or whoever did the costumes for this. But I'm sorry, I'm not even going to look up your name because of the disservice you have done me with these two <laughs> costumes. Buddy, Michael, you did a great job picking a dress for her. That works for Shakespeare time. Actually, it really doesn't. Um, it works for being worn as an old-time thing in a Shakespeare play, where they're pretending to be older. So, like, his costume looks like it's a dialed-down version of, like, a late 17th century menswear. While hers is, like, 14th century? And if they're trying to be a couple, bitch has been dead for hundreds of years before you were even born, bucko. So, you did a good job uh, knowing that she likes Shakespeare and quoting a non romantic moment of a non romantic play to her, and um, then buying a costume for her and yourself that one, don't match each other, and two, aren't Shakespeare's time. I understand. Oh, well, they're kids, and you know, it looks kind of like something maybe a kid would think would be this. But if you look at those costumes, Uh, You can tell that they're not the same decade. They're not the same century. They are not the same era. They're completely different in styling. There's nothing alike. There's nothing. Megan? Yeah.
1: Megan, are you okay?
0: Things are only getting worse from here.
1: Megan, it'll be okay.
0: Will it be? Because I'm pretty sure a liar's about to be revealed. Well, Megan,
1: first off, she looks like she's working at the Ren Fair. He looks like he's an Austin Powers reject. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Despite all this, we still stand, right? The yes, relationship? I still stand
0: them, but now I think he's a fucking idiot.
1: Uh, that's fair.
0: But, like, that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve happiness. It like, just means he should never be a costumer.
1: Yes. I mean, like, if somebody came up to me and said, Good sir, and then offered me to dance.
0: Well, yeah, I'd take it, even yeah. if he was anachronistic to the time. Yeah. I'd do it. I just...
1: So Joey shows up and he pulls Patrick aside and says, the deal's off because Bianca's not here at prom with him.
0: And Kat is right there.
1: And she runs out. Patrick goes and he confronts her, tries to convince her that, yes, he took the money, but that wasn't the only reason why he went out with her. But she's not hearing any of it and she wants to go and run away. And then he tries to kiss her bad bad move
0: the costumes ruined everything <laughs> yes
1: I, I can i don't like a liar revealed plot line i think it's tired it's bad it's easily resolved by just explaining yourself to the other person and so it just provides kind of narrative tension that doesn't need to be there but it's here so we have to deal with it it'll probably show up again We'll probably mention it again.
0: The one great thing that we get from this liar revealed is that Cameron is like, Yo, Joey, stop.
1: Yep. Joey hits him. Punches him in the face.
0: And he falls like a bitch. Yep. And then Bianca. Girl, Bianca.
1: She goes up. She punches him in the face.
0: Right before his nose spray ad. Right
1: before his nose spray ad. And she says,
0: This is for my date.
1: Yep. She Hits him, in the him face. again.
0: This is for my sister.
1: Hits him again.
0: This is for me.
1: And knees him in the crotch. Oh. It is great. Shit. Megan. I want to go back. Mention that Kay Hanley of Letters to Cleo shows up because Patrick knows that she doesn't want to be at prom. And he makes her more comfortable at prom by bringing in her favorite band. And then they sing Cruel to be be Kind, kind, which is just a line from Hamlet.
0: And then the Liar Reveal plot happens and everything is ruined.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I wonder if Kay Hamley's like, where did they go?
0: So I want to take a moment to just rename this adaptation of this play. 10 Things I Hate About You is great. It's based on the teenage journal of one of the writers. But I think that this uh, adaptation should be called The Taming of Bianca. Okay. Because she starts off as super selfish, Mm -hmm. and she has her reasons to act the way she does, but she is inconsiderate about it. Yes. And that's where there's an issue. Because you can like things however you like them, and you can want to show yourself any way you want, but you should still be considerate of others. And she's not. And she turns that around to being protective and open and caring. And girl, you got... Tamed is a terrible word, but if anyone's being tamed, it's Bianca. Yeah,
1: because I was going to say, it's not so much of a taming. Nobody tames her. It's more like the revelations of Bianca. Yes. It is in some ways, she is the one that grows the most out of this Oh, she absolutely
0: is. And then the next scene, she's off. She's going to go sailing. She's
1: happy. Her story is resolved. She's also trying to get her sister to feel good about the shitty thing that was done to her. She's like inviting her to sail with her and Cameron.
0: There's a really great moment of growth and like actual communication between Dr. Stratford and Kat, where Kat's like, what's the matter? Upset that I rubbed off on her about Bianca. And he's like, No, impressed. And it's like, God.
1: Then he mentions how he was worried about Bianca growing up because when they were little. They would always ask him for help with things. And as time went on, they started to ask him for help less and less. And he mentions how Cat hasn't needed his help in such a long time. And that he felt he was holding on to Bianca because that was the last thing that he had. And then he he mentions that's going to be even harder for him to hold on to her when she goes to Sarah Lawrence.
0: Because she can go and they're a good family and they hug. And I Yeah,
1: it's really good. Every single plot point is paid off.
0: You know who never apologizes and reconciles with their daughter?
1: Oh, Baptista? Baptista in The
0: Taming of the Shrew. Yeah,
1: yeah, he just kind of stops existing.
0: He's like, cool, go get fucked, honey, and he leaves.
1: Yeah. So we've got a couple things resolved. The only thing left to resolve is Patrick and Kat. So we cut to Mr. Morgan's class. They are presenting their assignments. Megan's being very emotional right now.
0: This is the scene. This
1: is the scene. This is what makes Julia Stiles a star, I think. She goes up and she presents her poem. And it is the eponymous 10 things I hate about you.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at it, she actually lists 12 different things, but like four of them are kind of like togethered into two with ands, but they have nothing to do with each other. So it's kind of forced into being 10. But honestly, it's 12 things that she hates about him.
1: Yeah. This is basically her admitting that despite everything, she loves him. And it makes me almost cry.
0: Girl did this On the first take.
1: And you can tell there is a line in which she does trip up on a line and that just makes it even more realistic. She is a powerhouse in this scene, but I think what does make it is that it does cut to Heath Ledger looking at her and he is almost crying.
0: They care so much and they just have been avoiding communicating and she's able to do all of the communicating in one poem. Well,
1: it's because they both put up these walls, which they both admit that they have. And every time that they let them down, they bring them back up if something bad happens. Right, because
0: they revel in these rumors that other people make about them. Yes. So that they can feel safe.
1: Yes. And then the
0: second that they admit that they're not that tough, they get hurt.
1: So it then cuts to her leaving. And she goes to her car and she sees the guitar that she was playing with in the music store earlier. She's astounded and she turns around and she sees Patrick's there. And he explains he's been a fool.
0: That some idiot paid him to take out this wonderful girl, but he screwed up because he fell for her.
1: And they kiss and it's wonderful and perfectly enough. She breaks the kiss to say, you can't just buy me a guitar every time you screw up. Which is perfect, because she's still got her edge.
0: And he's like, oh, you know, there's drums and bass and...
1: Maybe a tambourine.
0: And then they start kissing again, and she's like, and don't even think... And then they start kissing again.
1: And it's great, and then they start playing, I want you to want me. And it pans out, and... It's a beautiful moment. The reason why this adaptation works, I think, most of all, is because she doesn't get tamed.
0: Here's the thing. Neither of them need taming. No. They just need to be accepted.
1: Well, they also just need to communicate. Yeah. They just need to be able to let their guard down. It's not about taming. It's just being able to express themselves openly with each other. And that's all you need in a relationship. And I think that that's perfect. You don't need to fix people.
0: Because Taming of the Shrew is about two people who are both terrible. So they go, cool, they'll work out together. By which I mean, cool, he's worse than her, so he can stifle her into nothingness. Yes,
1: because he has also the power of being her husband, so he can deny her things. Because she has nothing that she owns of her own.
0: And Patrick Verona is an angel baby.
1: He's great. And we love him.
0: Now, we're not quite over yet, because at the end of the credits are some bloopers, and they're amazing. Um, They're just mostly typical bloopers, and you have to watch them but there's one that just soars above the rest that deals with Michael and Cameron.
1: Yep, so it's at the party and it's just when Bianca has rejected Cameron and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is standing there and David Krumholtz just waltzes into the scene and he puts a hand on Joseph Gordon-Levitt's shoulder and goes,
0: Don't worry, there's better for you. And it's right here. It's very obvious through these bloopers, something that I've read in a lot of trivia, which is that the cast all became fast friends. Yeah. They had a lot of fun together.
1: It's great. I think that wraps it up here. That is 10 Things They Hate About You, a much better piece of media than Taming of the Shrew.
0: But as Taming of the Shrew would say, I think a good takeaway from this movie is... Where two raging fires meet together, they do consume the thing that feeds their fury. Megan? Yeah?
1: How'd you rate 10 things I hate about you?
0: Uh, I'd rate it 12 things I love about Patrick Verona out of 10.
1: Oh, I would rate it 2,000 Miss Perkies out of Scurvy, the two best characters in the movie. Thank you so much for tuning in to Avant Bard. And we will see you... Anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlo. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash Pod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at avantbardpod.